welcome to the 13th episode of the Disgusted Podcast. This week's guest is Stephen Drew. Stephen is the creator of the Architecture Social Platform, which is a community that brings together professionals, employers, students and academics within the um, architecture and design industry. These individuals sh- showcase their projects, experiences and art, as well as allowing employers to sh- share news and job vacancies. So, um, Stephen, thanks for coming on. Uh, hey, to start off, would you be able to give us like, a bit of background on yourself, what it is you do? No problem. Thanks for inviting me on. And thanks for your patience. My diary's been a bit crazy. And it's <laughs> and that's kind of, because um, the architecture social has taken off, which I, I really, really appreciate. It's taken a lot of time, which I do love. I do love. It kind of started on furlough, because I got was on furlough, because the architecture industry is a little bit difficult right now in recruitment. So I was working part-time and in my day job which is as an architectural recruitment consultant or a director of an architectural recruitment team. And so that's kind of my, my what my day job is. And the architecture social comes from the fact that I used to be a part two. I used to be a part two architectural assistant before going into recruitment. And around about the time I was a part one, it was a global recession as well, 2009, right? So we're back, we're back in, we're back to 2009. It's like a, it's like a full circle gone on. But yeah, so I used to be a part one, I used to be a part two. And, and then I worked in, I worked in a famous architectural practice for a few years. I loved it. Um, I loved the company. Let me rephrase. They, they were really good to me. But I was just, I was sitting at the, I was sitting at the computer, guys. I was sitting there, and I was just thinking, I'm not the man to do details. I'm not the man. I, t- I was the guy running around in the kitchen, chatting, talking. I was like, I've got to do something else. So now I talk for a living, and it seems like I talk for a living on podcasts as well. I'm very glad to be here. But also, I do recruitment, so that's what I do. My background is basically helping people find jobs in architecture, which sounds deceptively simple. And right now, that's where the architecture social came from. It came from that. So if we kind of take it back to the beginning, (laughs) where did your interest in architecture kind of blossom from? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So what, what did I get architecture? So I did I used to draw buildings a lot. Then I kind of fancied being a doctor. And then I kind of went back and forth. And then it was quite funny because at the time I studied graphic design uh, in college. And I remember I went to see the uh, career advisor and he was like, you, you, don't, you don't do science or maths. You can't be an architect. And I kind of went like, I can, I can do what I want. And no, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And I did architecture. So I got into architecture. And I did love it, the course. The course is so good. You learn so, so, so much. And I did enjoy professional practice. Uh, I can see how some people love it. But part three was not for me. Were you always kind of creative, though? And you, did you always think that your kind of job prospects were somewhere in the arts? Oh, do you know what? There was there was a weird moment when, yeah, I mean, I do like creating. I mean, I got a 2-1 in, in, in architecture. I do love it. I do think you learn so much. I do love the creative process. And, yeah, I, I but it's just sometimes in terms of architecture, I just wasn't the guy that was detailing. And, and it was quite funny because in my part one, the projects I'd done were really conceptual, but the, I didn't know how the buildings would stand up. And I remember a friend, I'd ask my friend all the time, like, how would you do this 
how do you, how would you, you know, do this little detail? How would you do this? And I didn't, I didn't have a clue. So I was very conceptual, but I kind of fell in love with it from conceptual side, what you could do, the concepts. And I think it was more in my part two that I started getting real. I started getting more literal with it. And, um, you know, it was kind of confronting the fact that maybe I don't know how things come about or I don't know how you would do the cladding on the building, but then you kind of learn it. So I, I did learn a lot from it in the end and I do love it. And I think that the reason, if you look at the architecture social, yeah, it's an online platform, it's a community, but there's a lot of designer elements in there. And I really think it helps me in, in my role right now. While I do love recruitment, recruitment is, um, very process driven and a lot of a lot of it is to do with communicating between people so social skills are really really key i definitely get my kicks out of um, my design kicks out of um the architecture social i did kind of fancy working for rockstar and i did write um i did write uh you know if you ever play valve any games i did write gabe newell an email letter saying i'd love to work for your company it's amazing but you didn't hire me gabe please i'll still i'll still come i'll still come if you answer my email <laughs> so you speak a little bit there about um architecture social mm. um can you tell us a little bit more about it and how kind of this idea came about yeah really good question it kind of is evolving all the time and um i do love it i kind of see it as a bit more of a stage for for what you guys want uh, and it did start it started with the core problem because i was put on furlough so i worked up until March, April, full time, and basically the, the curtains closed in terms of architectural recruitment. So, what that means is that my role always is to find people jobs. So, you have to kind of be briefed from an architectural practice. It's like you guys in the future, because I know you'll do really well in your courses, even though you're speaking an hour of me. I'm sure you're going to manage your time really efficiently and you're going to do really well. But basically, uh, in an architectural practice, you are a director in the future, you'll say, Steve, I haven't got the time to find someone or I need to find someone that's really, really specific. I need to find a healthcare architect for this hospital that I've been briefed on. And, you know, we go one or two people who do really good hospitals, but I need, I need more. I need like someone, the hospital man with Revit. Can you find me that person? And then I'll go out and look for people. I'll speak to them and I'll, I'll try to find real reasons why they're looking and I'll, I'll get the match. You know, that's that's generally what recruitment consult uh, a good recruitment consultant is about. Is like a very very niche problem. But you imagine the COVID now, right? The the whole priority changes because companies are quite rightly you're trying to survive. You're trying to cling on to the really good staff you have. So it's less about expanding unless you really need that skill set and you really don't have it because you've got 10 to 20 people that you really want to keep in, in their jobs, which is great. And I completely get that. But what that meant is that my role in terms of recruitment diminished. And so I found myself part of the week free. And during this time, though, there was definitely a problem in terms of you've got a lot of part one, part two architects, assistants, even architects. And you're entering this job market. And so on one hand, my so in terms of my day job, the requirements were less. There's less uh, clients looking. But there's an abundance of people, uh, job seekers looking. And when you, in terms of the role of a recruitment consultant, sometimes I would speak to people. It's like we had a conversation along the way. And you say, Steve, I'm looking for a job. And if I'm kind of looking for that healthcare architect that briefed you on, it's really it's really difficult to make time to speak to a one part one architecture assistant who speaks to you 
and give them all the information they need and all the, the words, the pearls of wisdom that I have to kind of go on their way. And it, that would be frustrating for me because I was a part one, I was a part two, and I thought I need to kind of help people out, but how do you do it? And that's where the architecture social came from because I thought, well, I'll spend this time, you know, the first month or two on furlough, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to enjoy myself. The world's going to hell in a basket and I'll have a glass of wine and chill out and watch Netflix. But after a month or two, you like, it's like what you guys do. Your brain gets rusty or I still had that urge to create something. And I just thought maybe let's tackle this problem in some shape or form because I kind of felt that online. It's like on Instagram, people can have accounts and we've got podcasts like this, which are really good. There's, there's a lot of things fragmented anywhere. And I didn't feel like there was one particular place uh, in terms of a platform where everyone can add their own stuff. And that's the, where I see the architecture going. And that's what it's becoming, this self-perpetuating on the stage for uh, this podcast, other people's podcasts. But what I did is kind of in terms of the stage, I felt I wanted to bring what I, the bit that I was talking about of how can I set up a framework of really helpful, of hopefully helpful stuff towards students to get a job or, or general tips. Because what you find is that when I was a part one or a part two, you know, there was one or two little courses in University of Westminster and they were helpful. But actually job seeking is a job in itself and it's really difficult. And the stuff I've learned, it would, I thought it'd be really good to impart that. The thing is, though, when you speak to someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's incredibly inefficient use of my time. And when I say that, I don't mean that like I'm a Mariah, Ca Mariah Carey diva, like, I'm not speaking to you one-on-one -on -one because I'm, I'm worth more. No, I don't mean that. I mean as in, I, if I'm trying to help everyone, speaking one-on-one, -on -one, I can repeat it to you, Herbie. I can repeat it to this other part one and this other part one. And I'm like, I haven't got enough time in the day to do what i what i want to do and so that's what was really interesting i actually spoke to a guy called martin andrews at uh portsmouth university and he was just like steve that is not gonna be a good easy time especially when you go back to work which is what i'm doing now and so that's what was really interesting kind of in uh we're in this really good time to experiment with these mediums so using stuff like the way we're talking on this podcast using technologies like zoom there's another one's called loom and the actual platform the architecture social is built on using all this stuff to kind of communicate and uh together and and basically produce content that I thought was useful to a bigger audience. So yeah, that's where I see the social as is kind of like a stage, which has helped me convey what I want to do and hopefully produce content, which has been useful to some people. But the next chapter is now that I've got the stage there, it's like, let's have a bit of fun with the stage. Let's put, everyone can use it for what you want. But with that becomes this whole other set of interesting, um, sometimes challenges and, obstacles dilemmas excitement adventures because it the idea is it becomes what you want and with that it's, it's um it can go in uh, it can go in completely different directions and also it's taken me a lot of energy to get it going 
to get the conversation going because we're all not used to it as well. I'm like, yeah, say, post what you want. And then it's almost like, I want to get one of them sound effects of, you know, that at first it was like, you know, the, the, what you call it, the tumbleweed in the desert. You're like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. And it's like, you need to put a tumbleweed in there if you got it. But you know what I mean? It's like, because we're not used to contributing or it's like, why should I? And that was a really good question that I faced with because I kind of felt like, why, you know, you make a stage for someone and then, oh, you, you say, here's a platform you can use. And, and uh, most people, including myself, I'd be like, if someone approached me, I'd be like, okay, well, what do I want to use it for? Or what is the point? And so there's been a big challenge of getting enough talented people there and then conveying that idea and seeing if you can strike up stimulating good conversation. Uh, a really good example of the Arctic Social is probably one of the smallest bits on it. And then, so there's like 2,000 people now, and there's a book club, and it's like a little group on there, and six people come every week, six or seven people all on Zoom. It's completely unrecorded. It's like this like living, beating gem of like niceness in there. And it's real. It's in the moment. I really like it, and it's because not because of me per se it's because of the people in the book club are passionate about talking about books and and the discourse is quite interesting compared to when i do a live stream online which is equally fun but it's a comp completely different medium so yeah that's kind of sorry that's my long meandering crazy thoughts see this is a bit like what i was in like in studio when the tutors are like Rain it in, Steve. Come on. Jesus. But uh, that's that's what I think about it. So there's some really exciting ideas there, and I'm trying to uh, see where it goes. My current challenge at the moment right now is making it work along with being a director of an architectural recruitment team during the second lockdown. <laughs> how, how much maintenance does it take? You know, how how many... You know how much time oh, wow. spend on kind of architecture social generally. Okay. I mean, I'll be really upfront. The amount of time I've spent on it right now, it's a bit like, um, because I think as anyone who studied architecture, we all have this thing in us where we can just be absolutely in doing sanity hours without no one asking. So I've slipped into my old ways of, you know, when you kind of get a project on and you're part one or part two and you do crazy hours and all the people that you live with in the dorms and all this stuff are like, oh my gosh, where's Herbie again? Oh, he's doing, he's doing his work. He's doing it till like one, two o'clock. And I completely slipped into that. Like, let me just finish this one bit. Let me, let me just, let me just answer this one question. Let me just do this. Let me just, and then I'll find myself sometimes I would, I would, so I would work in my day job completely. And this has been a challenge because I really, you got to keep it clear. So if I'm being paid to, you know, to represent in terms of architectural recruitment, so now I'm going back to work more. I work three and a half days currently. I've really got to mentally put my, my head in that space of that role and purely focused on recruitment because that that's what I'm paid to do. But the social is kind of like a passion project outside. So I would wake up like on a Saturday morning at seven o'clock and be like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. And, uh, you know, friends and family and all this stuff, 
I feel like that meme of, you know, that guy from that series, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's looking at the wall and there's like loads of strings there and I've got bleary eyes and I've been like, well, I've just done eight hours and I've made this completely unrelated thing that I thought would be a really good idea. And, da, 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 da. and everyone's like, what are you doing? But it is getting there. So the short answer is a lot of time guys a lot of time um now it's getting better because more people are on it it means that i'm slowly starting to take more of a backseat but it's the same with your podcast it's the same with a lot of content creation at the start you've really got to lead from the front and to an element you'll always have to lead you know that i'll always be the ambassador for the architecture social um it does take a lot of time though it definitely takes a lot of time and um, how have you found like, the whole working from home situation? Because obviously you're doing that, I'm sure, and there's a lot of other individuals doing that, and they've had to like, yeah. open university to workplace. And... Oh, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. You, you end up doing I mean, you guys can see me now. I'm kind of wearing a bit more of a casual T-shirt. I mean, I was in the office yesterday, and it's tough. I find working at home very, very tough. So in terms of uh, re recruitment, that's an interesting one because a lot of what you do is speaking on the phone to people, speaking and communicating and meeting people in person. So I used to do a lot of that, and a lot of that's digital. So that's definitely put a ratchet in the works. But at the same time, there has been a flip side to working at home because I know where everyone is. Everyone's at home. So you can kind of, you can track people down. So there's a two-way side of it. So, so I've had some conversations with managing directors and all this stuff that you just never would before. And uh, for instance, the social, the architecture social, that is a complete product of me that I could never have done it if I was working full-time in the position I was before. It's 100% happened because of the fluke of the madness of coronavirus and me um, not being able to work on furlough because you can't work when you're on furlough. You're like, and, I, cause, and I agree with it because, look, if the government is subsidizing and supporting the community, you, you is supporting employers. The employers can't be cheeky and go, well, I have that cash and, Steve, you need to work. And so McDonald and Company, where I work with, they've been really good about it and, and they've been supportive and more people are coming back. But you have this time to use and that's been a killer uh, at the start to answer your question because when you're working from home, um, you've got to, you've got to be really, you've got to manage your time. You've got to do all this stuff. But when you're on furlough, which a lot of people I'm sure are still currently in, maybe they're going to return off the scheme. It's really weird because you, you guys are creative as well. You can just completely go insane. It's just, it's, it's very tough. So we're similar, aren't we? Like the podcast probably wouldn't be born if we weren't in lockdown. No, T yeah. Time on our hands and, Obviously, it was summer after our A-levels, and we probably would have been much busier. Trying to just do stuff. Yeah, because you, you actively just do, because in summer, you just do stuff. You just, every day, you're busy or... Yeah, but because we had time to kind of sit down and just go, let's spend a day doing a logo. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing better to do. <clears throat> and it's nice, because I think it keeps your brain sharp. I really do. It's like, and because then when you when I've got work... Uh, I I like what I do. I think it, it really helps mixing it up. But my problem before was when you when I was 100% on furlough, 
that I do need to keep my brain sharp. And I'm not someone that, you know, it's fun for, like I joked around, it's fun watching Netflix for one month and waking up at like 11 o'clock and you're like, I'm just going to be look at Reddit on my phone and I don't care. But then after a month, you just completely lose your creative juices. And that's the reason we've done architecture. It's like, I really need an outlet. I really need an outlet. And that's what I like about the social is because, okay, it's not a... Uh, physical building in terms of the traditional sense of an architect but we all have this, that in us as a designer and so in terms of recruitment I would always look at it as design in the process and that comes from studying architecture I was in a really good studio uh, called Remap in Manchester and they were always it's quite a, it was a really good studio uh, which was done by Nick Dunn and Richard Brooke and I learned so much in that studio. It was very data-driven, focused architecture. And I think that feeds into so much of what I do because it's how you approach a brief, it's how you go about it. And to me, the social is no different than, it's basically like my building in terms of that because there's so much work that goes into involved in them. Okay, I'm not doing a technical detail anymore, but there's curating content there's the how the look of it how does it work does how does the website work how does it present is it optimized can people access it how do you communicate an idea it's like the slogan you know i keep changing these things you keep going through these processes the logo like you said you talked about on on um on you know this what uh, this podcast you know it's like how it looks you might change the the logo as it evolves as you get different guests you kind of you know, is it just does it start out in architecture, and then do you talk about people that have studied architecture, or do you talk about people that maybe do graphic design for architects? And the idea kind of evolves over time, and that's the fun bit of it. And I think that you learn that from architecture, and that's what I like about recruitment is that I apply who I was before to it. And it's not for everyone, but I really believe as an architect, uh, yeah, you can do a building with Thomas Heatherwick and you can make your own practice and that's great. And actually the skills you learn as well, 100% the reason why I am in terms of where I am and what I'm about in terms of uh, architectural recruitment is from studying architecture. Yeah. Why, um, what kind of made you move over to recruitment as such? Obviously you said that you didn't want to be kind of a sat at a desk doing detailing, but why... Why recruitment over anything else? Okay, it's such a tricky one because you have to remember, uh, I, I, I want to be completely honest, and I do love architecture. It really wasn't for me, though, to continue practicing in that traditional sense. Um, and that's not to say, it's a really strange one because I have so many friends that I studied with who have gone on to do so many great things. And I, when I was in EPR Architects, they were so supportive. They, I still work with them now in terms of recruitment. They are such a good company. And it's always a tricky one to answer why I still don't work there. Because like, they're such a good company. They looked after me. I worked on some amazing projects. And people are like, why didn't you keep doing it? And I, it's, I have this really strange thing that... Um, I do kind of like leading from the front. I do take a little bit of risks. And the thing is, when I finished, um, I, it's really hard to say in words 
the way I feel, but there's something about it like Breaking Bad, okay? He's a teacher, okay? Walter White was a teacher. There's nothing wrong with being a chemistry teacher. It was a really respectable job. And just for me, it wasn't enough. And I was like, I'm going to do something completely different. And where I left EPR Architects, I was like, I was going to go wild. I was like, nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to completely do what I want. I think it, maybe it was more the, the, the fact of, the process you're in in while uh, architectural education is liberating there's a process and while you have part one part two part three and you can make some amazing buildings there's a process and i have this thing inside me which not everyone has where i like to challenge rules i like to and and when i say this i don't mean in an aggressive way I just like doing things differently. And so when I joined Bespoke Careers, which is a really good recruitment company, and then I left to set up my own business. And that was felt like Breaking Bad at the time completely because I remember my, my, my parents were like, you're giving up a really good job to, um, to try this. It's like it could fail. And I just didn't care. And I was like, I felt like that Walter White moment of like, I'm going to live. And if it fails, it fails. And I'm just going to give it a go. And it was completely um, a wild ride setting up a recruitment business. And I made all, we made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of mistakes, but you learn, you learn so much. And that kind of led me to my role where I lead a team. But the funny thing is for the way I had to go about it by almost challenging and taking risks, yet you can completely fail. But without it, I wouldn't have got to where I was. And I think that so I'm 33. I lead a team in terms of architecture and recruitment. Can, you can get some challenging people. You know, it's there's like you know the, you watch the film Wolf of Wall Street. There are bits of truths into it of that. It's not quite as wild where you throw in like um, smaller people on dartboards. You know, but it's not too far away from the madness of it. Like it's from really strong personalities, and you need to command the space and i think that by spreading my wings and going out and doing crazy stuff then i definitely felt more confident and that's like the social no one asked for the architectural social at first maybe there was a need for it but it's like having that ability to kind of go like i think there's something there and i back myself and i'm not gonna just drink or be unproductive or stay on reddit all night on furlough i'm gonna do something or instead of talking about like you know having these ideas in my head for two to three years about how i should speak to part ones and part twos and input and and, and pass on wisdom it's like actually do it just just do something and i was like i just want to do it and then i just did it and you know that moment of i remember setting it up and there's only one or two people on there and I kind of have an itchy thing. Itchy, I would say the wrong way is it itchy feet, itchy fingers. But I was like, oh, right, I've got to kind of, I've got to set this thing up. And there was like 10 people on there. And bizarrely, one of the people I early found was um, Sana at scale, which you guys have had on here as well. It's quite impressive what she did. She's done and is still doing. And I didn't really know much at the time, but I was like, oh, I like what you're doing. Let's talk on the phone, which if you think is completely mad because I had no clue. I think I looked at her website briefly and was like, this is cool. Let's just speak. And I spoke to Sana. I was like, why don't you try to join on the social? So she was bizarrely like one of the first few people there and she started inviting people on. And um, I was all work in progress. And I just felt like, 
oh, I could keep this in development for a while, or should we just put it live? And I felt like that clip, you know, that one online where the guy's like, he swears, so I'm not going to do it here, but he's like, we'll go live. I was just like, oh, just, you know what? I'm not going to plan this thing. Just put it out there and see what happens. And you, you kind of see what happens. And, you know, I've got a few ways, tricks that I've learned from recruitment. And I say tricks, it's more like tips of, contacting people on LinkedIn, you know, you probably, even if you're on the social, you might get me message you on LinkedIn. And there's a few other tools that I use in terms of contacting a lot of people. Um, but for the most part, it was the experiment of seeing who signs up and then what happens. And luckily we haven't had any drama. I'm not looking for drama. I got too much drama in my, in my life at times anyways, but I've only had one person I've had to boot off for using really bad language but that's what the great thing about architects is that by and large we're all awesome nice people and uh, you know i'm all up for discourse and i'll never get in the way of that but you know you can't the only reason i will kick you off is for swearing <laughs> well you can swear i think okay let me let me rephrase you can't go around to someone and say you are uh in uh because i will go like you, you can't call someone like that you're out mate do you know what i mean yeah. Anyways, sorry, long rambling answer, but hopefully that's helpful in terms of context. Yeah, definitely. So with recruitment, could you give some kind of do's and don'ts in terms of being recruited and you know applications going forward? Sure. So I've done a few videos off it, which is in more detail. So I did one, which is CV, one, this is portfolio. And if there's a particular thing you want to look at there or a particular question, then go for it, answer it. And you, because I can give you a few things now. The truth is, though, it's like, it's exactly like architecture, what you study, and there's so many facets to it. And what you have to remember for, for the whole of it is that it's a people driven process. And what I would remind people is that in terms of, you got to think about what a job is. So a job is that there's a business somewhere. So that in this case, you want to work for an architectural business and they'll have a project done. Okay, they'll have a need for a requirement. They'll maybe they're winning a, a a residential scheme. Maybe they're building a tower, and they'll need someone on board to do that. So when you're a part one or part two or an architect, you always have to think about what the point is. And so in this scenario, in terms of getting a job, what it is is solving a business need. Okay, it's 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 filling a job requirement. So you, when you're job seeking, you really need to make it very clear who you are and how you can help that problem. And so, a good example would be you guys when you graduate, you're like, look, I'm a part one architectural assistant. I know Revit. I know it a lot. And I've I've worked in an architectural practice for two to three weeks as an intern. I'm available in Manchester. I'm available in London. Here's my number. Yeah, here's, here's, my, here's my technical drawings, here's my portfolio. And that's the point of that when they're, and you get that across to the business, when you send over your details, the, the whole point is you, you're, when someone's looking at your CV portfolio, it's because you're solving a problem for them because they'll hire you because they're like, well, Herbie's got rev in that he seems like a nice guy that's came in for an interview. And that's the whole, that's the whole gig. If, so if you think about that in terms of recruitment, then in, in, once you realize that the whole thing is about you solving the employer's problem, then if you go about it in a methodical way, then you're more likely to get a job. 
So what I mean by that is you start, if you know that's the problem, then you've got to think, right, I need to make it very clear in my CV and very clear in my portfolio or my skill set. I've got to make it really clear how to contact me. I've got to make it really clear what skill sets I can offer. Who I am, who, what, where, when, why. You want to convey that quickly. And then you've got to think about how do I reach people who have problems? Well, I'm going to approach companies direct. Do not be one of these people that wait for job boards. Yeah, it's cool. You can have set an alert up on a job board. You see a role when it comes in, but you've really got to go out there, especially now, especially in this climate, especially with everything that's going on right now in terms of maybe this is a second wave. You really got to make an extra effort to find companies um, off the beaten track. And you don't just don't go to websites and go, Oh, there's no job here. So I'm not going to apply. You've got to think about speaking to the person, speaking to the director, sending the director an email. If, if an architectural practice is one at a scheme, you go, I love the master plan. It's amazing. You, you have got planning permission. I would love to work on this project. I use Revit. I am fascinated by, large-scale master plans you can see here in my thesis i've done this i've done that here's my contact details ring me and that's how you really get a job right now because you're you're cutting to the source you're finding you're finding uh ideas you're finding um projects online and you're identifying well if there's a new project maybe they need someone and then if you contact the person who's running that project or the business owner, then you're showing yourself, you're showing your skill set, and you're showing that you can solve a potential problem they have. And if they think, oh, you can solve this problem I have, then that's where you get the interview and that's where you get the job. Because, yeah. you know, then you go to the interview and you yourself and you, you constantly reassure the employer that you can solve that problem, that you're going to be the part one to come in to give it your all you've got the Revit skills, you, you're interested in residential. And therefore they go, oh, he's a nice guy. And I don't think it's that risky because he seems really level-headed and he has Revit. And he'd done a little bit of this before. You know, he, he did a few planning permission things and therefore we'll give him a go. And that's what you got to do. If you are currently looking at design jobs, kind of wishing, please make the right job come and I'll send my CV to one you are going to get left behind. This is a very competitive world. And there's a little part of me that's like, wake up, you know, come on, fighting gloves on. I always find it funny. People go, I, you know, I'm, I'm pushing ahead on my job search. Like, great, how many, how many CVs have you sent today? Uh, two or three. Two or three. There's like thousands of companies out there. Two or three. It's like, say no, that there's two or three jobs. They probably get one to 200 applicants. So one to 100 on what, one. So your odds, the odds in you getting an interview is astronomical uh, because it's like one in three. You're going to send your CV to a thousand places right now to try and get 10 interviews and get one job offer. And I know we, that you've worked really hard, and I know you'd love to work for your favorite practice, like Grimshaw or uh, Heatherwick, and great, that can come in time. But, you know, you can, learn, you can learn really good from companies which aren't maybe so prestigious, but they can be great places to work. So don't be fussy. And get yourself out there. Get yourself interviews. Yeah? Uh, that's the attitude of someone that gets a job right now. And do you think... Um, obviously, as a student or 
you know, going into going into the world. I know Sana, she struggled to get a job for about a year and she set up her to scale blog properly while she was in that year out and that's really helped her obviously get a job. Um, so do you think creating these like other networking with people is really important as a student? So I think sometimes people leave that to they're like, oh, we need to start talking to people. Yeah, good question. I think like what Sana done is amazing. What you got to remember though, it kind of comes from her energy and her passion. And so in her weird and wonderful way that she was like, I'm going to set up the scale, which is so awesome. Right. And in my weird and wonderful way, you got the architectural social layer of it. And where I'm going with this, it's more about the fact that Sana went the extra mile and I could have literally sat here um, on furlough and then return to work as normal but by doing these things and going the extra mile and like what you're doing now of sitting down and having a chat on, on when you've got work on because you've got work on you've got deadlines right now and you're making the time as well it's it's the difference and i think that it's really important and you will definitely stand out into to an employer. It doesn't need to be an Instagram profile. It doesn't need to be an architecture social. It doesn't need to be a podcast, but what it needs to be is going above and beyond. It's about doing something that's different. If you help with, um, in a community course or you help right now with COVID or you're doing anything like that, if you're doing something where you're learning and you're helping, that is amazing. If it's uh, artwork, like community classes or community art or uh, a bit of graphic design or something entrepreneurial or maybe doing a business on the side, great. I mean, when I was in architecture, I worked in Waitrose. I loved it because I used to learn. I was like, you know, knocking around and as 18, stacking up the shelves. And before that, I didn't have a proper job. And yeah, okay, it's not as glamorous. You know, at the time, I was like, oh, Waitrose is great, but uh, you know, an architectural practice is a real job. Well, you still learn from Waitrose and actually dealing with customers and clients and all this stuff. Then I went into the interview at... Um, EPR architects and was like, look, I'm a part one. My parents have always supported me. They've been fantastic. But, you know, I come from a, a low a working class background where like my dad killed himself to get me in university. And I was like, I'm going to work in Waitrose because I need the money, but I wanted to learn and, and, and I'm better for it. And I didn't just sit there and do it. I went a little bit above and beyond. And in the interview, then they're kind of like, mm, I like that. I like a grafter. And so you can do it in any way. It can be whether you're working part-time. It can be whether you're do, being maybe a teaching assistant while you're at uni. But I really think that makes a big difference. I really think it makes a huge difference because if you're hiring, it goes back to what we're talking about or solving a problem. And if you're an employer and you see someone that's done extracurricular stuff or someone giving a million percent effort that's the kind of things i look for you don't need to be the person who gets the first and gets all the distinctions i wasn't that person it's great if you've done it fantastic what i'm on about is there's loads of other ways to show that you're dedicated to show that you're going to be an awesome employee um employee so i think it going back to your question what sound has done is brilliant it is really great it helps a lot of people and that's her way of doing it yeah, I have a think. Uh, any listeners here have a little think about <clears throat> you know, what what way you want to do it, or what way can you make a difference? And that can be right now working in Tesco's with your mask on during a pandemic, because that's pretty brave, actually, when you think about it, isn't it? Or it can be it can be you mentoring someone. It can be a bit of artwork. It can be a podcast. It really is sky's the limit. But just own it. I mean, we could. Th the way I look at it now is that 
um, I no longer anymore want to do something that I'm, well, my phone's going, sorry, but that I, I don't believe in. Okay. And if I'm sitting at the desk, the point was when I was in architecture, it's a good career, but I didn't get a joy from doing the technical detailing. I loved working with architects and EPR. If you can't make it at EPR, you can't make it anywhere else because the problem was I didn't feel passionate about it. And I think that it, when you were talking earlier about the architecture social, how many hours you put in, the thing is when I'm really into it, the clock just goes. You know what I'm on about? Whereas it just evaporates. Time disintegrates. And, I, and I've done stuff in the day. But I've got that feeling like, oh, I've got to go to sleep now because I've run out of time. And if you can kind of get that in what you do, I think you've really won. And I think that when you're on a quest to do stuff, it's like what Sana does with scale or the fact that you guys are doing this podcast now. There's something about enjoying it and something about being in the moment. And I think that if you can do that and apply it to our architecture, if that comes across, then that's the person I'd want to hire the person that wants to do architecture, that wants to be the best architect because they're doing it for your, um, th that magic will rub off on the business owners thing. So if you're in this quest to be the best architect and you're that person that was not me, you're the person that does the technical details and loves it and loves solving the problems and loves doing the, getting a beautiful building out there, which makes an impact to people's lives. Then fantastic. My way is the social, um, that's what's really going to stand out. And so with Sana, I really see that as her exercising her awesome skill sets and abilities. And that's probably what the employer saw and probably why she got hired. Because I would. I would hire Sana with that website because you yeah. think, well, that that person on my team is just going to accelerate my business, my architectural practice ahead. Yeah. I think that segues quite nicely into your involvement with the Architects Benevolent Society, uh, ah. mentioned on your website. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about it and kind of your involvement with it? Yeah, sure. Oh, you've done a bit of research here. Huh? Okay, cool. I've got a... I didn't expect that. You know, whatever curveball's going to throw me. The Architects Benevolent Society is such a good charity. I really like them. They, I mean, I first got involved with a charity called Article 25. I've done a podcast with the managing director there. That's going to come up at some point. They were a great charity. And they what uh, Article 25 do is that they help build schools, uh, hospitals, and all these projects. Now, architects, architecture, the Architects Benevolent Society, the ABS. Now, where they are special is because Article 25 is really good to be um, building buildings like hospitals uh, out in third world countries which improve lives. But what I like about the Architects Benevolent Society is it looks after me and you. Okay, it's a charity that when you've worked in architecture, it supports architects and anyone that's worked in the industry, I think for a year or two, stuff like mental health, stuff like going through stressful times, they will help there. And like now in coronavirus, if you've been unemployed, you can contact them and they will they will help. If you can't pay rent, they will they will try and help. They have social workers that there, they really improve with um general awareness. So uh I was not aware of this charity when I was starting and architecture can be stressful because it's like i love it but the stuff that you're talking about now with like what i do on the architecture social is it is unsustainable the hours you do and you kind of got to come down to earth at some point and it's like you guys with a project you'll go killer you'll go overdrive at one point and then you've got to learn to adjust 
and there's maybe let's say you get stressed out and you're like i'm burnt out then they're the kind of charity you can speak to and they're the kind of charity that you can speak to if you're you have problems in your family say no you have a child and they maybe they have a adhd and or you're struggling you're juggling your your family with your job in architecture then the architects benevolent society gets involved they really help you out so i kind of say i see it as Article 25 is a really good charity in terms of fixing problems in the world. But what I like about the Arctic's Benevolent Society is it looks after people. And so they're both complementary. And so I joined as an ambassador. Now you have some ambassadors which go above and beyond and cycle through all the UK. And I feel like, oh man, I need to raise some money or awareness. But hopefully what I do with the Arctic's Benevolent Society is it's like this, is, is spreading awareness of an amazing, amazing charity. And so, so to your listeners, uh, what I would say is that they're really there for you guys. They're really there for if you're stressed right now. So if you're particularly a student, okay, then they're gonna they're gonna look after you, and that's why I, I get involved because uh, if if I can spread the awareness of the stuff they do, then and it goes and helps that one person, then great. You gotta remember is I'm involved as as an ambassador, but you have so many hardworking people there. And I'm lucky enough that normally what we do as part of the charity is we meet up every year. We talk about how we're going to raise awareness. We talk about what people have done. And when I go there, there's it's like its own quirky, awesome family as well. And they really, really do work hard. So if you work in architecture and you know someone that's in a particularly difficult situation or you're in a particularly difficult situation yourself, then check out their website check out all the help that they offer because it's, it's, it's available to students, to architects. So it's really worth checking out. Cause I, I, when I finished my part one, I remember being really stressed. I remember at one point I thought it, I found it really difficult finishing my part one. So the end of the third year, I had this kind of weird feeling like, Oh, this is ending and I've got to start a job and I don't know how to uh, emotionally deal with that. And so I kind of was in, I wouldn't say full-on depression or anything like that, but it was really a, like a confusing time. And I was not sleeping. I was not doing all this stuff. And I was lucky that the University of Westminster, they had a course on there for mental health. And yeah, I spoke to someone for an hour and there was a little group and you 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 sit down in the group once or twice a week. And actually within two, three weeks, then I felt a lot better because someone was there for me. And that's the same thing the Architects Benevolent Society do. They, they do that for the whole of architecture. And so it can be that you're in a really bad situation or you're just not feeling like you're in a good place. And it, they're kind of like a bit like a friend that will pull you out of it. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's like a little beer down the pub, you know where you're mate and you go, oh, mate, don't worry, you'll be all right. So they are very much like that to the whole point of saving your rent because you're struggling. So check them out. Really good charity. Yeah, it would do sounds, sounds like good stuff. Yeah, I think um, as well the whole obviously that's an amazing charity and i think they're supporting people and as well having to do it online and i think the more and more we're we're becoming in, like coming into the architecture community it feels like there is a real community and it's starting to really like bubble up especially like i don't know obviously we've only been here for maybe a year or so like we've been in contact with these sort of people but do you think it's really changed the kind of online community and being able to connect people around the world and 
obviously your, yeah your yeah it is really good i'm just going to turn my phone off from beeping guys because it's so so these are the digital this is the downside of where i'm going with this though so you talk about community and you're right the architecture community is amazing and i do think being on digital platforms is really helpful and i've got to be really careful what i say because i've set up a digital community but i think they're amazing but you, you have to remember that they're real people then the we were real people Okay, and so look. I when I was younger, I used to play World of Warcraft the crazy hours at night, and you know, go raiding in guilds. And you can almost sometimes forget that these avatars online are real people. You're a real person I'm speaking to now. And so, I'll, what I like and dislike about Zoom is it does connect people, but you got to remember that hopefully we're not all just sitting gaining weight and getting depressed behind computer screens you've got to go out for walks you've got to go and speak to people but obviously it's a really good really good tool online so yeah in architecture is a really good community but what i'd love to say is that this year has been great in terms of i think it's been fantastic at connecting online what i did like about the architecture benevolence society and a few other events i used to go to in the year is I there used to be a really good talk um, set up by Scott Brownrigg. Oh gosh, I, I forget the name, but basically, what you would do, right, is you would go to architecture, you go meet other architects, you'd have loads of beers, and you'd have a chat, and it'd be good music, and you'd be partying tonight. And I was like, man, this is the coolest event ever. What are they called? What was it called? It was basically architects and developers meeting, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it because you'd have this cracking night out like you said we're all architects we're all community and you'd, you'd network and you meet so many people you wake up the next day with a with a heck of a hangover but it was really good and i think that there's like this now i've so it's a blessing and burden that on this podcast i never would have spoken to you before so i'm grateful that we can do it i'm grateful for zoom and yeah there's connections that we can pick up and now we're talking i mean you guys were really persistent with my awful calendar and i really appreciate it and we 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 got there in the end and hopefully it's fun i'm having fun but there's that thing of it, it so to what you're saying it is a community and what i would encourage is to remember that while we're all online to get involved and try and collaborate together try and make projects either digital or physical and to try and kind of not get caught up in this false sense of security that just because you connected online it means you can miss a trick in real life and i view them as the same thing i really and and i think that that's the downfall with it, having an instagram account or having all this stuff i think that you can you can you can um you can feel safe in so let me let me pose this to you guys. So if someone's got an Instagram account with twenty thousand followers, are they connected in the community? Is that does that mean they're a pivotal member of the community? Does that mean they're connected with people? I mean, what's your thoughts? I think Instagram's very strange because I'm, I'm not. You can have a follower, but it doesn't mean they're active. Yeah. Or active. It doesn't mean they're invested in what you do. It might mean that you post pretty pictures and they think, oh, that's nice. But yeah. It doesn't mean they care about you as a person. It doesn't mean they know what you do. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And what, and what I've I learned about Instagram, if you think about it, right, it, it, it's really helpful. I mean, I'm on there in the architecture social. I try to post students' work and a little bit of what we do because I feel like that's more interesting than my graphics is to share other people in the community's work. And that's quite nice, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Point is, it's not a conversation half the time is it it's like posting a picture and you get a few likes and i think you can really lose the the community aspect of learning from each other 
And that's the thing with the Arctic's Benevolent Society. You've got the ambassadors and there's 50 of us or 60 of us, might be a bit more now. And we meet up every year and, and you really get that one-on-one -on -one interaction. You really, you really, really learn from it. You really, really being involved even though it's quote unquote a smaller community and maybe yeah okay it's not online and i'm not getting lights and i'm not getting retweets but you make a difference and so that's the kind of the balance that you're on about is with the architectural community i think it's really good to get involved and i think getting involved is the key so it's like with sana with scale you can guest you can be a guest uh writer and post your article online isn't that great do it. You know what I mean? It's like, don't just click on Sana's website, go for it. She's got a Discord, go on there. And that's the thing with the architecture social. I'm happy for you just to be there and to soak stuff up. But as a personal challenge, it's like with what you're doing at the podcast, yeah, it's it's sometimes a bit scary at first, but then once you do it for a while, you learn tricks and, and you learn skills and you meet people. And I think, so what I'm on about is, the architecture community is really great. It reminds me of like when I moved to London though, and you think London's so big, it's so busy, you're gonna make loads of connections. And what I learned about London is London, you really gotta put time in. You've really gotta like get to know people because then you get connections back. And but London don't come to you. You got to go to London. And this, the same thing with the architecture community is do some work, post things online, post artwork, but then get involved, speak to people, try to collaborate. Get when you've got an idea, do it. Fail at it, great. I mean, the amount of failures I've done is astronomical. I mean, the architecture social is so far, I think, going well, but it comes from like twenty ideas that I've had which haven't worked. You know, and it's for doing them that I know, oh, that won't work, and or I've tried that, it doesn't work in that way, and therefore you learn. So get involved with the community, make mistakes together, and become better architects with each other. On your own, you won't do it. You've got to get involved and learn with each other. And I think being a good architect isn't simply just being a good drawer, having good ideas. I, I mean, starting this podcast for me was pretty daunting speaking to people i've never spoke to before because you know it's a daunting experience you know having no having to speak to someone one-on-one -on -one. Mm. um but like in terms of making connections being more confident speaking to people you know having to do research and it, it will benefit it 100 percent will benefit me in the future i think you it know. already has you know yeah, with doing that um, like we've had we're only like a month in now but having to stand up in front of you know your your den your unit and present and sort of have a chat is like before I think I've really struggled, but now I'm a little bit because like when you when I'm speaking to you, obviously it's through a computer screen. But I've never met you before. Just like I haven't met these guys in my den before. Mm. I think you sort of lose a bit of the judgment, maybe, or you lose a bit of that self consciousness, like that you're you're doing something wrong because then you realise that it's not actually as bad. Yeah, and just having having kind of the skills to get up and present and just not worry about it. Yeah, I think you're right. You've hit the nail on the head. It's And then look at it. The skills I learned from architecture apply to my current job right now, as in the the fact that when you present in architecture and you do a crit, it is gut-wrenchingly, awfully nerve-wracking. And yeah, I've been slammed, and I've had a few of them that have gone well. And that actually bodes quite well with me now. So in terms of business, I'm comfortable presenting. I'm comfortable doing all this stuff because of that. But... 
so I can handle, and it took me years. So when in terms of recruitment, it's really intimidating going to meet architectural directors and saying what they need in the business and talking about how much I want to be paid to find that service and going through that negotiation. But over time, you get better at it. And it's like you said that actually when I started doing the social, I remember the, we did a Zoom meeting, which had like four or five people from the social and we were talking about CVs. And even though I've gone and met big directors of architectural companies and finally got comfortable at that, I was so nervous because I was like, what am I going to say? Everyone's going to think I'm, I'm full of it or whatever. And you just go through that motion and then you do it and you go, oh, actually it was okay. And it was easy. And then the first, well, let me rephrase. It wasn't easy. It was like, oh, okay. I think I came across all right because it was an honest conversation. And I tend to think that the more and more I do these, the more and more um, I try to be really honest. Of course, there's an element of, you know, um, I'm myself, but I know what I'm doing. You sit, you kind of, it's like a script. So I don't have a script per se, but I know when you bring stuff up, what I want to inject with it. But the more and more over time, I've learned that, it's way more fun to go off script. And that's why I quite might. Um, that's why hopefully when I do my stuff and like on here, it might be not quote unquote as professional as uh, sort of the, you know, banging a bell around. The reason I do that and have like a horn and all this stuff is because I find them quite funny and it jars people and people kind of open up and they kind of, it takes away from the, from the whole um Professionalness, yeah. Well, there's there's an element of where I hopefully I do come across as professional is because it's having an honest conversation and trying to help people, and that's the difference. It's like I can have a joke, but you've got to deliver in life, and 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 that's what I've learned. It's about I can people can like me, and people can find it funny, but there needs to be some substance to the conversation as well but to answer your question yeah the more and more the things the more and more i do uh, the more and more i do online the more and more i feel more comfortable and that's when it goes back to honking the horns and stuff that's kind of like there's there's a youtuber who reviews video games on on youtube and he has a horn and that's the thing and it's like every, and, I, and that's why i was like i'm gonna have a horn as well and so that's my little swan song and it's not like plagiarism because it's like influences and and what it is is that i saw the horn he was doing it for comedic effect and i saw it as a really good way to elevate the mood or break the norm i think of it like a patter okay think of it like you're programmed in a way to be quite serious or you you want to be engaged and my what i do is i try to flip the conversation in his head slightly so people let themselves go and enjoy themselves because then it's more of an interesting conversation and i find that uh, probably in half this podcast if you re-listen to it i've kind of answered the question and then i've gone off on my own little tangent but hopefully the tangents have been entertaining because yeah i worry because it's it's the the danger is I can almost expose myself to something I feel uncomfortable with, but I've learned now to go, do you know what? When I've talked about this stuff, I've never intended to offend anyone. I've been open and honest and Hey, I'm not going to mince upon words. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to 
over worry about it. I'm going to be in the moment and say what I want. And hopefully it comes across as sincere. But when you start out and you do all this stuff, the danger is, and I'm sure you guys have had it, or maybe it'll come up as well, where one day you will speak to someone on the podcast and they'll be a lovely person. And then sometimes if they're not used to interviews, you, you'll be like, so can you tell me about the project? And they'll go, yeah. Da, 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 da. How, how are you today, Stephen Drew? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. And that's fine. But that, that's the kind of thing that I've learned that the more and more I'm comfortable with is that I can expand on the answer. Uh, but the, the balance is as well. Sometimes people like to fill time, um, conversation in space. And I used to do that a lot. So if you feel uncomfortable, I can go blah, 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 blah. And that can be a deflection tactic that politicians use as well. I mean, a good example is Boris Johnson. Of, and you're like, what is he saying, really? And so I've got to be careful not to do that too much. But I do think that there's something uh, about talking sincere. And it does come from practice. And it does come from exposing yourself and doing things you're not comfortable with. Um. So, also, just like... <laughs> Sorry. So I, I went off for one. So, we kind of spoke about us starting uh, university in the last mm. like, couple of weeks, and I understand you've been a uh, visiting critic for the Manchester School of Architecture, where you studied. And, and, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Oh, you have been completely through my LinkedIn, haven't you? Yes, I was a visiting critic. That was really rewarding. That was really rewarding. So visiting critic at the time. is So I had two roles in Manchester. One was, oh, and I was a social coordinator as well. And I'll be really upfront. I was an awful social coordinator, which is bizarre because right now I feel quite, I'm good at social networking. But I just, I just, for whatever reason, I think I was too shy at the time. But in terms of the University of Manchester, I was a really shy social coordinator. So I'm not too sure I put that on my LinkedIn. But where I was a lot better was helping uh, year one, um, year one, year two students in terms of their confidence. So I would do guest critics with the teachers. And I remember the first one I did, I felt like a complete imposter. I was like, oh, no, how can I invite, uh, advise people on their projects? And it was completely, I felt like a farce. You know, I felt like, I don't know why. If I look back now, I probably, if I looked at myself, I was like, oh, Steve, you need to have a bit more confidence. But at the time, I was like, how can I tell a student what to do when half the time I don't know what to do myself? But you kind of like, we talk about with open conversations. I was just like, well, because I was really maybe better than the technical detail. I was better at how you convey a project. I was very good at visualizations. I was very good at graphic design. I was very good at if I, how presentations, I felt if they didn't get the point across how to improve them. So I kind of offered the bits that I felt were, were relevant without waffling on about trying to offer some architectural theory nonsense, which I was like, oh my God, I don't even believe that myself. So I would focus on good aspects of what I felt I was strong with. And I'd be like, look, I like the project, but this sheet's really not doing it justice. Have you thought about... Um, you know, uh, a more legible font. Have you thought about clearer drawings, a higher line weight because of the back of the room, you can't read the drawing and stuff like that. And that's like a lot of what I do with architectural CVs right now comes from that experience. It comes from the being a guest critic because half the time you'll find that the CVs and portfolios on that people post for feedback on the architectural social, they've got all the ingredients there. But I find that, um, when you're in the middle of your own project or when you're doing your CV or when you're doing your portfolio, actually, uh, you can't really, you, you forget, you don't think of it from the outside of you. You see it as your own, 
you see it in your own limited scope. And that's the reason I say it's limited is because you're so deep within the project. It's kind of like we've all done it. Have you written an essay? And then when you reread it, you see the words in it and someone else reads it and they're like, what? This doesn't make sense. And you're like, oh my gosh. But that's because you're so deep involved in the project that you forget what it's like to the outsider. So with CVs and portfolios now, I'll find that people are missing key things. I'm like, how long have you used Revit for? They're like, four years. I'm like, oh my gosh, we should put that in. Or they're like, yeah, yeah, I worked at this architecture practice for one year. And you're like, wow, where is that in the CV? Oh, it's buried underneath my current job as a waiter. I'm like, okay, okay, the waiter's cool, but let's get the bit at the top. Let's get the architectural practice to the top. And so when I was a visiting critic, it was exactly like that. It was like an amazing project. I was like, wouldn't it be really good to, if you had an AXO, to kind of show these aspects of the project and uh, an axonometric drawing? They're like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. And so a lot of what I do comes from that, that, that kind of... Um, doing those kind of roles it's it's no different but at the time you i was completely nervous to do it and i think um the more you do these things the better you get at them and i think um well the way i'm looking at it the way i've had some advice from other people is to be quite quite open about your work and like, almost offer it up to people around you rather than being completely invested in your own work and only letting yourself look at it i think yeah be honest and like show people and then hopefully they will do the same that you would do and say well that's that's wrong yeah there's definitely a really helpful aspect to groups groups i remember I, when i joined uh manchester school of architecture the first course i did uh, the, in my first video you could either go on solo or you could go in a group and i was like i'll go solo i I'll, I'll kill it on my own. And what was funny is everyone in the group got the high grades and I really struggled. It was like the lowest grade I ever got. It was like a 52 or whatever. And I was so uh, disappointed. So, but then I, 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 I remember thinking like, well, everyone in the group did so much better and the project was way more refined. And it was because you had like five people building this beautiful project, whereas I was on my own. So you're right. It's actually, there is a power in... Um, getting feedback from other people. I remember I had one friend and he goes, Steve, what's your opinion on, on my project? And you go, oh, I, I, it's good, but change this and that. And he would get so defensive. And in the end, I remember thinking, like, oh, I'm never going to give him feedback again. And so make sure you're not that person that can't take feedback when they ask for it. And it's really good to ask for feedback. But remember, you need to put a bit of energy in yourself. You need to like do your own project, then ask for feedback. And you need to give other people feedback. So it needs to be all proportionate. You can't be asking everyone for feedback and not helping anyone out. You've got to mix it up. You've got to kind of get a balance there. But you also do have to look after yourself. You can't rely on other people. Remember, you're asking for people for maybe a bit of support, but you need to deliver yourself. Don't be that guy in the group who's like the tag-along dude. You know, the one in the background that's like, everyone at the end is like, what did he do? And yeah, that person can get a grade because they got carried by their group mates, but that person really loses out in the long run because they didn't do jack shit. And they basically didn't learn anything from it. Do you know what I'm saying? So they lose out in the grand scheme. Penultimate question. Um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> oh, that's, a, 
That's a really good question. What's frustrating is I always say to people, you need to visualize where you are in 10 years. And then sometimes I'm like, I don't know where I'll be in 10 years. So it changes all the time. It changes all the time. I mean, 10 years ago, I wanted to be a big architect. And then five years ago, I wanted to add my own recruitment business and be leading in architecture. I think 10 years from now, I, I, it would be good to be known as one of the best in the architectural recruitment field by um, being honest um, and kind of building up on what I do now. So I think for me, because I'm 33 now, guys, you know, it's more about honing in on what I want to do. It's um, being really good at that. Um, and 10 years, um, maybe it's ambitious, but for, for the architectural social, I'm going to push it as far as I can before I fall over dead. Uh, whereas, I mean, as in, I, I'm going to try and build it into the biggest, most useful resource I can in architecture. And that'll be like my thank you note to architecture if it's useful. So not quite like a LinkedIn or anything, but I think if I can make it like the biggest um, useful resource or useful platform for architects, then um, I'll be really happy with that. I think that would be like my return home. It's like, okay, I didn't get my part free, but I did the architecture social and people love it. And if I can do that, then I've won. If it turns into some corporate, um, uh, you know, one of them websites, which is like, ooh, sponsored by order, sponsored by this, sponsored by that, and then it loses the ingenuity, then I failed. So in 10 years, let's re-listen to this. And hopefully I'll be like, yeah, it's still cool. And um in recruitment, I think it's just building up on what I, I've done now, really, because I lead on that recruitment team and about doing it the right way, doing it the right way and continuing to do it the right way, basically. And then thinking slightly further ahead, um, how would you like to be remembered? <laughs> okay, the architectural social. Hopefully that's a good thing. And um, I think the way I try to be remembered is because rec architectural recruitment is um, difficult. But what I like is that... And that when you're job seeking, if I can be, because everyone hates job seeking, including me, it's a nightmare, isn't it? The idea of finding a job is a nightmare. But if I can be the least stressful part of that process, or like, oh, that Steve Drew's podcast was helpful, or, oh, you know, that was a good resource. If I can help people out of a difficult situation, then I've succeeded. I'm not going to get it right all the time, you know, but if, if for the most part, what I offer is helpful in that way, then that's the equivalent of my building a building, you know. Okay, I'm never going to be Renzo Piano doing the shards. Ain't going to be me, boys. I ain't going to be the heavyweight put, putting the things on Mars and all this stuff. But if I can do, if I can help people out of in recruitment, which is a nightmare um, usually, and detangle it and de-stress it, and if I can make the architecture social helpful, if people start to building beautiful things on the social, which is their own, and supporting other people's ideas, then I've I've won. And when I say I won, it's like that breaking bad moment. You know when he's like he goes for the wall, he goes I won. That would be like my moment of like, yeah, I've done it. I've done it. So that's the goal. We'll see. Mm. That's good. Right. Um, well, thank you for answering our questions. You've been yeah. But um, basically, we like to go at the end of every podcast. We basically, I don't know the. It's basically thin of the week, so we have a chat about something that's interested us in the last week. We'll get to see anything. So, okay, I know what I'm going to say. Are you guys? Have you pre-ordered Cyberpunk 2077? No. 
What? It looks so cool. I am going to literally immerse myself in that digital world. And I'm going to do the complete opposite advice of what I've said the whole podcast. I'm not going to integrate with anyone. I'm going to turn my phone off and I'm going to completely dive into the Matrix and play Cyberpunk 2077. It gets me so excited. I watched the trailer for them announcing it 12 years ago. Uh, not 12 years ago, one more, eight years ago. And eight years ago, I would be 25. So I was a part two architectural system. So it was a part two architectural system when they announced it and it's going to come out and it's got Keanu Reeves and all this crazy stuff on. But how cool does that world look? I've got the artwork for it. I think it's really inspirational in terms of architecture as well. I can't wait to play it. Do you it. guys got, you got a, have you got, a, have you got um, a PC or a, but you know, you work hard, but you got to play a video game every now and then or something, right? I left my Xbox at home, but I might bring it out for Christmas or I could just deny. If you think about it right, okay, another idea for anyone doing architecture. So Rockstar Gaming in, is based in like um, Scotland. They have big offices in Scotland, I think Edinburgh. They hire architects to build the building. And I find it so cool, like, you know, GTA... I mean, look how long that's been going with San Andreas and all this stuff. And look at all these awesome worlds you can do. So my thoughts is definitely you guys need to check out Cyberpunk 2077. Check out the world on there. How cool is that? How imaginative is that? So that's what I'm really excited about. There you go. You've got world exclusive. I'm a video game geek. There you go. I think, that, I think that's so true, though, because I've been speaking to a few people, like people doing architecture and they're saying oh you're gonna go full seven and you're gonna you know what you're doing and i think there's such a range of people and you don't know where they where you're gonna end up and i think such an exciting course that can like you yeah. said architects get employed by rockstar like so oh. cool so cool and you this is the thing of like i know people that have done architecture then they've gone into marketing i know the other way around you know people that kind of got fed up with architecture then returned to it and love it and the stuff that you learn in architecture, you can completely apply. So, you know, yes, of course, do architecture. Oh, I always think you should work in architecture for a few years to see, you know, since you studied it, to see how you feel about it. But then, you know, why not do digital worlds? Why not create the next one at Cyberpunk 27? Why not create uh, GTA 6? Well, if they ever get around to opening a new one, they're making too much money on that, on the current GTA. Come on, Rockstar, if you're watching. But I love you. Please, Rockstar, I do love you. Give him a job, come on. Herbie. I don't, I, I don't know what I would do anymore. And Maybe put me on the radio, but that's it. <laughs> so do you reckon if um, Rockstar gave you a job tomorrow, would you, would you drop everything and go? Or? Oh, okay. Mind, this is the thing, when you get a bit older now, in theory, I'd love to, but i go like, what, what job, what it is, and I've got to be passionate about it. So, and potentially, potentially, um, but... Uh, I loved, well, maybe. I'd be, yeah, the social media stuff, it would be cool. Look, I, I don't know. You kind of caught me in a spot. I'm like, ah! Uh, yeah, I would definitely be interested, put it that way. But uh, it would be a ball about what the job is. Because as good as uh, working for Rockstar is, if I'm not excited then about the role, then I'm not going to give it to my all. But Gabe Newell, yeah, if you still got my email, I will reply. Herbie, uh, what's your thing of the week? Uh, so my thing was, so we had a lecture from someone representing Reba and um, they were talking about signing up to the student, student membership for Reba and sort of, it was quite easy, so I did it. Um, I'm still waiting to find out what it really does, but I feel like 
I feel like I've got too far to just even doing that. Just like <laughs> putting your details in. I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Mm. Well, now you're a real student, aren't you? You're a real Reba student now you've done that. You're a Reba boy now. Mm. Um, my right. thing of the week is uh, we did a walking tour of Nottingham to uh, look at the architecture, uh, which was, it was all right. Um, had a look at some of the nice buildings. Yeah, it was good. Went, walked around my den with some new people. I uh, went for a pub lunch with them uh, halfway through the day. Oh, we finished early uh, and then went for fish and chips at <laughs> the pub. <laughs> I love that. It's the British thing, isn't it? Do something productive, and then at the end, it's like pop up to the pub for one or two. Love it. <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, that was that was probably the best bit of the day. But looking at the buildings is right as well. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. I'm still a bit disappointed the fact that, that that trip replaced the trip to Amsterdam. That was the whole the whole COVID thing kind of screwed us with that. They they pay well they organised a trip for like one of your projects to go to Amsterdam and Paris. Yeah. All Paris. All Paris, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely um it's not ideal like that. It is amazing when you think, guys, isn't it, that this pandemic um and I won't harp on about it because it's all quite nice. Like in the moment, I quite enjoyed not getting bogged down in this podcast thinking about coronavirus because, of course, it's everywhere. It's what everyone talks about. And there's something almost like <sighs> fatiguing with it, isn't it? You're like, I can't take any more of this stuff. But um, yeah, it's a shame when these things get cancelled and all this stuff. But like you said, the upside I look at it is the architecture social would never have happened if it wasn't for that break and, you know, the podcast. So there's other ways. It reminds me a bit like, um, you know, not nowhere near, and I'm not going to trivialize World War II or anything like that, but it's kind of like when my, when my grand would talk about um, how the joys of being in the bunker. And I'm kind of like, Grand, are you serious? You to, she's like, yeah, I used to love it as a kid. I used to, when the, when, the, when the sirens went off and the bombs were coming, I would run into the shelter and we'd have a great time. And I'm like, sounds like you could have died there, Grand. But what I get to her is, we have to make the most out of this. And, and you know, you, you have a story to tell about how you were students uh, studying architecture during coronavirus. And yeah, it's not all, um, it's not all easy. We just have to push on a bit, I think, isn't it? And trying to make fun where we can, because otherwise you kind of get depressed about it. But it, it, you're right. It is not nice when these things happen, but hopefully like stuff like you've done on the podcast and anyone out there listening, if you can be innovative during these difficult times, I'm not going to say the word, unprecedented but oh guess i've said it already unprecedented times unprecedented times but if you can do something during these things then i think that's the best um outcome definitely yeah well thank you very much um, cool um it's been great to chat for for like, with picture brains uh, uh a bit of everything no worries i i enjoyed it guys it was really cool um good luck with um finishing your courses and everything i've no doubt you'll be super successful and uh keep going right don't get don't get bogged down with coronavirus you can do it cheers yeah <laughs> very cool much thank you very much no worries Professionalism at his best. He's forgot his laptop charger, so he's got to go and get in there. Got to get the charger, guys. <laughs> How many minutes have we got before it, before the battery goes? <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully a couple. Otherwise, <laughs> I love it.
Uh, well, I, 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 no one can see this, can they? Because we're on audio. But I can no, see. I, I can see you running around looking for a charger. This is real life, <laughs> guys. If we're going into a digital world, we've got to have our chargers, right? Come on. <laughs> I'm joking. You guys are awesome. I love this. Let's give it back. We're plugged <laughs> in. <laughs> but this is the modern world now, isn't it? Huh? We're all going to be working remote. You guys are um, uh, studying at the moment as well. Part one. Or part yes, two? Part one. And you made the time out to invite me on your podcast. Great gate crash your podcast when you've got all this stuff on. I really appreciate it. Answer, which is true. Of um, you know, I went to study architecture. Hey, whose phone's going? What is that? Is that a fire alarm? Oh my Are you gonna fire alarm? <laughs> not doing well today, are we? You're not gonna <laughs> guys, don't Jeez, die God. on the kind of me, I assure you. The podcast is not, definitely not worth life and death when I'm on there. It's, it's the automatic one every year. Right. Do, you think, do you think it's a bunch of you starving poor students right now that you can't go out in lockdown? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe, right. maybe, it's, maybe it's like PUBG and oh, any of them games where there's like a crate coming in and you just got to all run for the food. <laughs> but not two metres distance, guys. Two metres distance, yeah? Right, okay, let's start. <laughs> 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 <laughs>